Eric Spolstra, extremely good head coach for the Miami Heat basketball team, and his wife, Nikki Spolstra, are getting divorced. Uh, Nikki Spolstra was a dancer, I believe, for the Heat when they first met. If you're going to spend all your time in the arena, you might as well find somebody who works there, too, I guess. Sure, sure. <laughs> Pilot, flight attendant, we get it happens. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. So. Hey, it's Rayford Palmer and Rahul Iyer. Welcome to the STG Divorce Law. I just want this done. Divorce Podcast, Episode 15. Thank you for tuning in and checking us out. Whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows, we are here to entertain and educate you about family law, divorce, marriage, dating apps, all kinds of stuff. With me, as always, Rahul Iyer. Say hi to the folks, Rahul. Hey, guys. How are you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so we've got a lot of stuff. We've got a totally packed agenda today, and we're going to go through and tell you some really interesting stuff, starting out with our favorite celebrity divorce updates and intel. So first, from our friends at Yahoo.com, Jada Pinkett Smith gives update on Will Smith marriage after kissing pick in a preview for an upcoming interview with Drew Barrymore, and I think this already came out just recently. The actress is revealing that she and the I Am Legend actor, of course, that would be Will Smith, are in fact endgame after the couple's several years long separation led to intense speculation and strife. And I'm quoting the article. It sounds like you're staying together forever, Barrymore said to Pinkett Smith, discussing her new memoir, Worthy, which we've talked about the book before and how it kind of slammed Will Smith, which hit shelves in October. We're staying together forever, Pinkett Smith confirmed. She continued referencing the separation. So I guess they tried to be separated. Usually people say they tried to be married and then they go through the history of the separation. They talk about that in the article and they say, Jada Pinkett Smith said, it's like we're in a place now that we are in a deep healing space and we're really concentrating on healing the relationship between us. So we wish them well. We hope everything goes well for their relationship, especially for them and for their kids. But it sounds like they're staying together. So that's the current Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith update for you, ladies and gentlemen. It's like uh, one of those things I where guess. it's like the slap heard around the world. Nothing's been the same for him since. You almost wonder what's going on. It's, right. it's, it's just a very, very interesting dynamic. And I used to love and Will Smith. I don't know about now. Yeah, put a big damper on his public image, I think, you know, unfortunately for him. And bad move doing what he did at the Oscars, obviously. And uh, anyway, hopefully the relationship works out. It's definitely an unusual relationship. Hate to each their own, but hopefully for their kids, they stick together and take good care of their children. So we wish them well. So moving on, the next one here, Dean McDermott blames Tori Spelling split on his drunken rages, her choice to have barn animals in the bedroom. I saw this article and I had to bring this one up. Dean McDermott's breaking a silence on his dramatic split from Tori Spelling, this from Fox News. After initially announcing breakup in a quickly deleted Instagram post in June, by the way, credit Emily Trainham, who's the author of the article, both stars remained silent about the state of their marriage. McDermott is revealing intimate details about what led to the breakdown of their relationship, listing his struggle with addiction, could be a problem, and her choice to keep barn animals in their bedroom as just two reasons for their separation. Well, okay, this is interesting. We shall read on because inquiring minds want to know, as they used to say. Speaking to DailyMail.com, also a fun website. We shout out to Daily Mail. If you want to sponsor our show, also Fox News, we're always willing to take advertising dollars from anybody. We're, we're good. We don't care. We're, we're good. <laughs> uh, we'll take it. So speaking from a rehab center, mind you, yep, in L.A., yep. all Tori's ever done to this day is want me to be happy and healthy, and I inflicted a lot of damage and pain on that woman. That's unfortunate. I'm taking accountability for that today. Good on him. And it's the biggest amend that I'm ever going to have to make. Tori Spelling and Dean McDermott have been having marital problems for years, McDermott said. Now, Rahul, this goes against our general advice, right? Which is what? I mean, normally, what do we tell people? 
We tell people, Let's don't air out your dirty laundry. Yeah. You need to keep everything under lock and key, control the public image, control the narrative, because otherwise everyone's going to start speculating and you're going to get into this mudslinging contest in public. That's not going right. to do anybody any favors. Yeah. So we usually tell people go dark on social media. Now we understand that public figures, right, have a different obligation and, and their fans demand information and going dark is not sufficient. So controlling the message is so critical for these folks. And that's why we see these curated joint messages. And we've talked about this in many previous episodes where we have these carefully crafted joint messages and photographs and posts online, right? Joe Jonas from the Jonas Brothers have his yep. carefully curated message with Sophie Turner where they issued joint messages and then they started fighting with each other and then they started issuing further joint messages and it's yep. just it's probably the best policy and they have these people all have handlers so they should just listen to them. Right. I can't critique what McDermott's saying too much but maybe he's oversharing a little bit. You know, I think less is always more with these things. You do need to tell people that you broke up. You should tell people what the relationship status is, especially if you're a public figure, because otherwise people fill it, like you said, with speculation. However, you don't need every detail. So he then says that he was drinking too much. He's drinking a fifth of tequila every night. Not good. Obviously, I don't know how you <laughs> manage that without killing yourself. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it was Casamigos so, again. Shout out. If you want to sponsor us, feel free to. And maybe that's in bad taste. But yeah, we were, we're always willing to take on a sponsor. So he continued. He said that the alcoholism was a big problem. I guess pills as well, which he meant. This is not a secret. This is public. He mentioned this in this interview and he said he was tired of the, of the yelling and the anger and so he apparently had anger issues when he was drinking which is very unfortunate i've got to get to this he spent the summer in rehab i guess so i said he's working on making amends so good on him he met spelling in 2005 i guess and apparently it was it was public knowledge that he struggled with addiction before the marriage now that makes us give some advice to those of you who are dating out there these problems tend to not go away and they just tend to get worse over time and what rahul and i have seen in our firm has seen over the years in people's 40s and 50s the addiction issues become insurmountable so the person that drank some for fun then they drank a little more and they partied a lot quote unquote and the person was fun a aka they drank all the time and the person thought well when we get engaged they won't drink as much and when we get married they won't drink as much and they manage, they get a good job, they manage in their career and all that. And then what happens? You know, they get older it's and worse. they need more and more and more. And all it does is add more stress and the problem gets worse and then the wheels fly off eventually. And then we see these folks come in and the person who doesn't have the addiction problem says, I can't take it anymore. And it's sad, it's the worst because they love the person, but the monster in the room is the addiction sitting on top of all the other challenges in a marriage. So if you're dating somebody who has an issue like this, Word to the wise, be very careful, tread carefully because these problems tend to get worse. They need to resolve that issue, if at all possible, before you get married. It Marriage and all that is not going to fix it. It's just going to add on layers of stress in our anecdotal experience. So they go through this and I'm, I'm dying to know about the barn animals. McDermott describes several animals living in their shared bedroom. Here we go. Including a pig, multiple dogs, and a chicken. So anyway, they finally parted ways after, and they've got several children. So, you know, sorry to hear about that situation, but it provides several lessons for us and for our listenership and viewership about kind of what to watch out for. But it's also obviously a little humorous with the farm animals in there. So next up, we're so going to So before talk we get about, further, though, Rafe, let's say this, right? Yeah. So 
guys, we, we all do this for fun. We enjoy doing this. We do this for free. We take time out of our day. We don't just do podcasts for a living. We're actual real lawyers. So we, we like to do this because it's like a passion project. So please, if you like what you're listening to, if you like what you're seeing, hit that subscribe button, smash the thumbs up on YouTube, give us a ranking, ranking on whatever yep. podcast app you're listening to us on and comment. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Give us questions. We're happy to answer them yeah. as we see them. If you guys share, like, subscribe, that gives us exposure and in turn lets us continue to do this. We're learning as we go. We're trying to improve every time and we're trying to make this for you. We, we're not doing it for our health. We're making this show for you for a little bit of education, a little bit of entertainment, not just another boring divorce lawyer podcast. That's our goal. That's our motto. And so we want to make it interesting and have you learn something valuable in each show that might apply to you or somebody you know. So let us know. The more subscriptions we get, the more likes and shares we get, the more we can bring to you. So thank you. So Rahul, you were going to talk about Kelly Clarkson. We're always yeah. interested in more. We have some more slub news to go through still. The true American Idol. So I found an article, yes. Parade.com that says Kelly Clarkson's ex-husband ordered to return millions to her. Parties had previously settled their divorce, but the couple still has a lot of legal, or not a lot, but some legal issues to work out. People may or may not know, Kelly Clarkson and her ex-husband, Brandon Blackstock, settled their divorce in early 2002, but there were some unresolved issues relating to his representation or management of her in some capacity. So now what happened okay. was that a labor commissioner has ordered him to return over $2 million to Clarkson that he allegedly over charged her during his time as her manager. So it's a pretty wow. penny. I don't know Blackstock's net worth, value, income. So I'm not sure if that's a drop in the pond or a sizable chunk of his estate, but definitely yeah. quite a bit. According to legal documents, the article says obtained by TMZ, a California labor commissioner declared that Blackstock, who helped manage Kelly Clarkson through his family's company, Starstruck Management Group for 13 years, unlawfully booked jobs for her and overcharged a commission. Apparently only agents not managers, are allowed to book gigs for clients, save a few exceptions. And during the time, Clarkson was repped by CAA, which is Creative Artists Agency, huge, huge company, yeah. managing some of the best talent in the world. Blackstock was never legally certified talent agent. And oh. so he has been ordered to pay back $2.641 million, to be specific. He okay. said he's going to be appealing the order. Your divorce is done, but you might still be on the hook. It's interesting to think about what the divorce judgment typically says about any such indemnification language. You know, when we craft divorces in or judgments in Illinois, or not, I shouldn't say judgment, but settlement agreements, what we do is, is we insert languages typically for, for torts or other civil complaints that a party might have against the other party, That's essentially right. saying that this is it. You can't take me to court for X, Y, and Z. Not sure how it works in California, but I'm sure they yeah. have something comparable. And maybe this doesn't apply to that. I don't know. So maybe it's a third party suing a third party, which is her company or her management company suing his management company. So maybe they're not parties to the divorce and therefore not applicable. I don't know, but definitely yeah. very interesting stuff. And so, and that's a great point. And uh, this is where the little bit of education comes in. Yeah. We try to resolve all claims between married people when they're getting divorced to prevent subsequent lawsuits and litigation. So it may be, and we don't know without seeing the divorce judgment, or the decree, and sometimes these settlement agreements are kept secret, and they have basically a shell document that gets actually filed in its public record, and the guts of it, the details, are private. And we do deals like that all the time for people to keep their private information out of the court file. And so we don't know what the details are, but it might be that part of the divorce deal was to carve out these claims for future resolution. But your theory of a separate entity is a good one, 
Because if those entities aren't specifically included, those companies or corporate entities aren't included in the divorce decree and they're not parties to the divorce, then yeah, any resolution in that divorce case is not going to eliminate claims between those entities. And most of these, all these people have business entities that they use LLCs and corporations to hold rights and stuff like that and to containerize their professional lives and keep them separate from their personal assets. So great thought on that article. There's much more to this than just the celeb story. Right. Absolutely. And it's sort of interesting to see how they deal with certain issues that, you know, could possibly apply to others. So Tell us he, about Eric Spolstra. Yeah. yeah, what's Spolstra. what's the story on that? Eric Spolstra and his wife, Nikki Spolstra, are getting divorced. Eric Spolstra, for people who don't know, is the very, very famous, extremely good head coach for the Miami Heat basketball team. He famously coached the big three in Miami, which is LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh many, many years ago and won a few championships there. So uh, Nikki Spolstra was a dancer, I believe, for the Heat when they first met. He was a head coach, very young head coach and was also named as one of the top 15 head coaches of all time in the NBA. Seems legit. Yeah, yeah, he's great. (laughs) No, he's great, but meeting her as a dancer, sorry. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, if you're going to spend all your time in the uh, the arena, you might as well find somebody who works there too, I guess. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) Pilot, flight attendant, yeah, Yeah, it happens. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. So they have three kids, Santiago, Dante, and Ruby, five, three, and one. Fortunately, Santiago had a type of lymphoma, a type of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. He's now in remission, thankfully. It seems like they're doing an amicable separation. Again, going back to what you had said earlier, a joint statement was released. You know, the standard line, we're both grateful for our relationship and remain fully committed to co-parenting our children and continuing to make them our shared priority and respect our family's privacy, please, is what it says. So that's sort of the token line that people get. It sounds like like they have worked or they are working on getting this divorce settled. We don't know if there's a prenup involved. We don't know what the finances are, but as always, we'll find out and we'll let you know if we and when we hear. We'll keep you updated like we always do. Thanks, Rahul. That's a good one. So also, I just noted that, you know, seven years of marriage and we talked about the eight year itch. It's like a couple of our shows, right? That is a great point. I I didn't catch that. You're right. It's again, you know, you, you look at it, you'll start seeing patterns like you just said. And seven years, eight years, it just happens. Yeah, when you get this situation where folks are getting, we, we also talk statistically in previous shows, we bring out a lot of divorce stats and people are getting married at later ages. So they're getting married and they're not getting to know each other super well. They get married and they crank out three kids. Yep. Like right away. What's it? Five, three and one, you said? Five, three and one. Something like? Yep. Yeah. So boom, 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 three kids. Kids are stressful. Anybody who's got kids will tell you they're challenging. They're also wonderful. They're amazing. I've got two sons and two stepdaughters, but my guys are grown now. I was married five years before we had our first child. Then my wife, my ex-wife and I got to know each other very well. We were married a long time. It was sort of time to have children and we, we had our time together. We kind of grew together and had that time. And then the kids were stressful, but we were ready for that. And I don't know what that's like. I think it's challenging to get married and then quickly within a year or two or maybe sooner you're having children. That's a lot to layer on to a fairly new marriage. So I think that seven years issue kind of ties into that. So absolutely yeah, difficult. Hope things work out for them well and they keep their kids center you know, stage and focus on them. So just briefly on that is, is, you know, I was thinking about it. You always talk about the athlete schedule. You never really think about the coach's schedule, right? Coaches have families too. They travel with the team. So she was a dancer. She has her own podcast. Uh, She meaning the soon-to-be ex-wife. But if he's always in practice, practicing with the team, going on the road with the team, and she's at home with the kids, I mean, at some point, I feel like that may create these issues where one person might feel like they're doing more than the other. He might 
say, hey, guess what? I'm making the money so you can live. Right. He's like, well, that doesn't change the fact that you're not here. It, this is a long distance romance is always challenging under any circumstances. You have young children on that. That's a lot. Even if you have help, and I'm sure they have money to have professional you know, a nanny and help around the house and all that. It's still to maintain that relationship. You've got to be present physically. It's not enough to be texting and doing video calls. You've got to show up. So I'm sure that's a strain on the relationship too. You're absolutely right. Unfortunate, but yeah, likely the case. Next, we're going to switch to some Elon news. So Elon, owner of Tesla, SpaceX, He's got a million things going on. Creator of PayPal back in the day, right? Peter Thiel, billionaire, you know, obviously he's doing a million different things at once. He's got kids with Grimes. Here's the headline from Yahoo Finance. I've been featured in Yahoo Finance, by the way. Uh, shout out to Yahoo Finance. Elon Musk fights to keep custody battle in Texas where he'd pay only $27.60 a month in child support. <laughs> yeah, of course, he's fighting to keep it in Texas, right? Yeah. There's a picture of Elon with his son XAEA-Z or whatever they're calling him, but they call him X. Elon accused Grimes of trying to avoid Texas courts in their custody battle. Musk said he had his son X, but Grimes moved their other two kids to California this year. Where the case plays out could have major consequences on child support orders. And then the story is Musk pleading, accusing her of moving the children out of state. And we've talked about relocation before and how different states have different rules on relocation of children. Illinois has a 25, 50 mile rule. You know, you've got to have good cause. And, and there's a series of factors Illinois uses to determine whether relocation of children is permitted. And it depends. We also talked about UCCJEA, the Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction and Enforcement Act. If you want to see an episode on that, it's one of our prior episodes where we detail how that works and how interstate child custody jurisdiction is decided. And that's really important because as we see here, and we've talked in previous episodes before, Kevin Costner wishes he was in Texas mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's paying how much in uh, child support, Rahul? Like 63K? Like yeah. yeah. 63K a month. A month. And in Texas, apparently they don't deviate from their formula. So they've got it. Clearly they have a formula and most states have a formula system, but a lot of states allow the court to deviate above or below the formula for good cause shown. Now we don't know Texas law. Consult your experienced Texas divorce lawyer for proper legal advice. But we know enough to tell you in general, obviously this is the point, is that there's some formula in Texas that would make his child support capped at a maximum amount. And I'm guessing this is the ceiling. He makes an ungodly amount of money. So he sued Grimes in Texas to establish a parent-child relationship, which we call a parentage case in Illinois or paternity case. So he's not married to Grimes. So there's no divorce element. He doesn't owe her any marital property division or community property that's not relevant. So all we're talking about is child support. And in other states, if he was in California, if he's in Illinois, we famously have some you know sports stars in Illinois that have paid huge amounts of child support for football players and stuff like that because they make huge money. So the courts have deviated above our standard guidelines. So in this parentage case, Grimes countersued Musk in California seeking physical custody of the children. And so there's a battle going on between the states and we've discussed that. Which court will decide where the custody should be litigated? And once they pick the state, it's going to be important to decide who has jurisdiction and then that's going to govern child support. So they actually say family law experts previously told Insider the first fight in the case would be over which state had jurisdiction. Just like I said, California or Texas, the outcome has major consequences for Musk. 
because of the different child support caps in California and Texas. Texas caps it at $27.60 for three kids. There you go. California has no limit, which is why we understand that Costner is paying a ton of money for child support. And her lawyer, his wife's lawyer in that case, ex-wife now, rightfully litigated and battled over that to try to get the max that they could for her. So that's understandable. So, you know, there's been battling back and forth about the facts. They try to say, Elon says, she and the three children have lived in Texas primarily with Musk for at least six consecutive months. And remember, for those of you who listen to our prior show, six months is the magic amount of time to establish home state jurisdiction in your state. So we'll see how this shakes out. But this is really important in these high net worth, high income cases, because this is how you determine what the home state is. And then that's going to determine child support. So Elon lives in Texas and because he's got SpaceX down there. He also has the boring company that he has that does like boring. Yeah. Not boring like, hey, I'm yeah, boring, boring like tunnel creation. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got like a sample project in Vegas, I think. Yes. So yeah, SpaceX has their star base in Texas that mm-hmm. he's been building. So pretty interesting story. And we'll keep you up to date on that one. But great child custody lesson baked into this story. That turns us to talking a little bit about our sponsor, STG Divorce Law. So STG Divorce Law is our law firm and we're located in Chicago. And yep, STG Divorce Law right here. Located in Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. So we serve Cook County and the Collar Counties. We've been in business for almost 30 years. 30 years in January, actually. Wow. Since 19, yeah, 1994. Rahul and I are partners in the law firm. And we serve professionals, business owners, entrepreneurs, and all kinds of folks from all walks of life. And we handle their divorce and we work hard to do it better. Why? We do a cost benefit analysis. And our goal is early evaluation, early negotiation of a case. Try to get these things resolved as efficiently as possible. Don't go to World War III unless it's absolutely necessary. We bring to the table a vast array of skilled people. We have an awesome team and we are here to help. So contact us at stglawfirm.com. That's stglawfirm.com. Check us out, schedule a consultation with one of our skilled divorce attorneys and we can meet you at your convenience. We do them by Zoom. You don't have to come in the office or we do it by phone and we will talk to you about your divorce concerns. We also handle parentage, prenups, postnups. We're here for you. So check us out how smart, successful people get divorced better. STG Divorce Law, stglawfirm.com. Thanks. And now returning to our regularly scheduled program. Rahul, we're going to talk about a little bit about money and divorce. Can you hit us up with info on forensic accounting? Forensic accounting, we should first say or define what a forensic accountant or what is the role of a forensic accountant. Forensic accountant is somebody obviously who has an accounting background, who is a CPA or some other financial professional. Their role is typically to present to the court as an expert, either the court's expert or one of the parties' expert, a clear and an accurate picture of what each party's financial standing is to help determine you know, the value of assets, what adequate child support or spousal maintenance, also known as alimony payment should be, what someone's expenses are, what the financial needs are of a party, and what is somebody's capacity to pay. You have forensic accountants. They're oftentimes the behind the scenes sort of worker bees that people don't get you know, info about. They're not very glad amorous positions, but they're the ones who sort of are the gears that make this stuff work. You referenced earlier, which I thought was a great segue, that the Kevin Costner divorce. The forensic accountants played actually a pretty big part in the Kevin Costner divorce. What happened was, you know, a Forbes article that, you know, we'll link in the bios titled, 
do you need a forensic accountant if you're getting divorced or something to that effect? Couple each hired a forensic accountant. Christine Baumgartner hired a forensic accountant by the name of Jill Bombino of CMLLLP. She provided analysis showing Costner could afford the request that Christine was making about $129,000 a month and that it be boosted or increased to $175,000 a month in child support. And, <laughs> and that, pro- that ties into what we just talked about briefly about how in California there's no cap. Exactly. So if you can pitch to the judge a, a reasonable rationale for that higher number, you need evidence for that, and the court might consider it, right? Absolutely. And those courts, to an average listener, you might say, wow, $175,000 a month. But, you know, courts in California deal with celebrities and these giant Silicon tech uh, entrepreneurs and such. So they see these numbers all the time. And so they're not essentially, they don't have the sticker shock that someone else might. So so she provided, she meaning the forensic accountant, provided an analysis showing that Kevin Costner could afford it suggesting that he had cash flow in 21 and 22, averaging 19.2 million per year. What's 175,000 a month? So (laughs) drop the bucket. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's like a million dollars a year. He's still got about. That's what he's feeding his horses every month. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Costner's forensic accountant, Tracy Katz of Gurney Schneider LLP, dissected the family's $240,000 monthly expenses and backed out items solely attributable to Baumgartner as opposed to the kids. And those, as she testified, included spending 3000 a month on beauty products and treatments and 18000 a month on designer clothing. Hearing all these things, the judge ended up knocking down child support to $63,000 a month, which is, by all accounts, a giant win for oh, Kevin Costner, yeah. considering what he was paying and what he was being on the hook for, I guess. The judge also did say, though, that he had, he meaning Kevin, Costner had to pick up all the kids' medical costs, school tuition, extracurricular expenses, including their hunting club dues. The judge was persuaded by the opinion of Costner's forensic pro that his income should be properly evaluated without the extraordinary and now ending Yellowstone payday, in which case she calculated his cash flow was less than half a million per month. Now, that is an interesting side note. And for for those of you who have one time or rare unusual income bursts, and we represent many people in this boat where they sell an equity interest in a business or they cash out of a, they have an executive position in a company, they're a C-suite executive, and they get their comp package bought out or they get let go, they get their comp package bought out by their company, they're having some unusual one-time income, right? Mm -hmm. That we then have to take into account and argue to a court. We have to say, look, this is unusual income. This should be considered, this is an asset to be divided. Of course, the money is here in the marriage, but this is not something that should be pegging their income now at this new amount, even though it's income for IRS purposes, it shouldn't be counted as income for purposes of calculating support on a going forward basis, right? That's exactly right. So then the article goes on to say briefly here that they say that the analysis would involve combing through supporting documentation like invoices, receipts to identify spending patterns over time. It also requires not only breaking out big ticket items like mortgage payments, car leases, and vacation expenses, but also itemizing the cell phone bill, dog food costs, like you said, costs to pay the horse food, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're basically looking at simple spending or actual fraud. They're saying that if they can't find evidence of willful conduct, they have to, you know, use circumstantial evidence essentially to piece together how money was moved. They see, you know, is money missing? Where is it going? So on and so forth. That's really their job. A lot of people, their eyes will gloss over all the numbers, but this is what they do. And the good ones are, like you can see, very, very good and very persuasive. Yeah, they're, they're doing those income and expense analysis. They're looking for dissipation of assets. And we've talked about mm-hmm. that in the past, like 
waste of marital assets. And when you have these things happen, when you're trying to prove these things, you need an expert to actually provide the testimony. It's not good enough to just throw accusations out at trial at court because of our rules of evidence. And these that rules apply across 50 states and likely in common law nations, right? Canada, yes, Australia, England, New Zealand, Australia, right? That have the common law tradition. We have similar rules of evidence and they don't allow you to just start spouting off accusations about improper spending and things like that. You need to have an expert come and testify. So depending on the size of the problem, a forensic accountant may be a bargain relative to what you're trying to prove for one of these issues. So a great point and a good article to review for those of you involved in this type of situation. Rahul, we were just talking about how we are seeing people in our consultations who due to the housing situation and the high cost of mortgages, things like that, even people who are making a lot of money, people who have a high net worth, There's a situation where at least one of the two people is not wanting to leave and people are waiting to get divorced right now, sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop. So this sort of ties into the forensic accounting. I was thinking about money, made us reminded me about our conversation. You came across an article about housing costs in the show notes that I thought was interesting. What's that about? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point because we see this almost every day now and it's sort of, I'm sure everybody sees it, like you said. The article is how divorced couples are stuck living together after they can't afford to move. Uh, As back around, like you said, you know, when people are getting divorced, there's a lot of animus. There doesn't have to be, but there oftentimes is, or just discomfort. So what do we do, right? People say, let's separate. That seems to be the logical sort of solution as the parties decide, you know what, we're getting divorced. We should start living separately. However, that's easy enough to say from a practical perspective, you're essentially doubling your costs because as if you consider yourself to be not divorced yet, you're still a familial unit income wise, and you now take everything you have and you double it because you have to maintain two households. So really your purchasing power is halved at this point. Naturally, depending on what someone's financial background or financial capacity is, people have a hard time, especially in this economy with the inflation, the way it is with everything going on, it's expensive. And so the article essentially talks about how a grown number of divorced couples or soon to be divorced couples are still living together to save money on housing with inflation at 3.2% and mortgage rates that are past 7% and record high home prices. Even renting is expensive. They say it's very unorthodox, but they have to live together and it's extremely uncomfortable for people, understandably so. Not only do you have, you know, if you can be completely amicable with each other, it's still awkward at best. And at worst, it could create a lot of conflict, fights. You got divorced from this person because there were reasons for it. Not so you could be roommates and, you know, it can be extremely difficult, dysfunctional, especially when children are around. If you have, if you're bringing friends or soon to be, you know, significant others to your house while this person is there. I mean, it kind of really causes all kinds of issues, issues with boundaries, uh, issues with control. And it's just one of those things that's not at all healthy unless there's some very, very clear lines and boundaries that are drawn and rules. You know, who does the household chores? Cooking, cleaning. Are you going to take turns going into the kitchen? and making food for yourself? What about grocery shopping? Like all kinds of things can create all all kinds of problems. And so people say that they unfortunately have to live with their ex-spouses a lot of the time because it was economically beneficial. They'll ride out this wave and then buy their time until they can save up a couple bucks and then move out. And in the meantime, it's just, you know, you sort of have to try and maintain amicability. And it's the unfortunate reality now that a lot of, at least the article only references Americans. I'm not sure if this is how it is in the rest of the world are kind of dealing with it. And, And sometimes it's great. They sort of say, hey, look, we have a doctor together and we're living together and we both get to spend a lot of time with the dog and you know they sort of decide amicably to move on but other times it's sort of like you know this is tough but 
it's just we can't afford it. So I'd rather not be homeless. I'd rather be right. you know, irritated than homeless. So this is a problem we're seeing and, and this article nails it. And I found an article in Financial Times. It's a paywall, but I've, we'll have a link in the bio, but we can talk about it. It talks about England specifically or Great Britain, but it makes the same point. And they talk to people, they talk to divorce lawyers in England. They're having, they're seeing the same pattern. And one of the things to think about from a divorce strategy standpoint is person who is the, let's say, typically lower wage earning person is much less incentivized to divorce right now because they're seeing this bleak economic situation and figuring they're going to be going on sort of a fixed financial diet, if you will, with alimony and child support. So finding a new place is difficult. It's harder to sell homes. And I saw, I'm old enough to see stuff like this happen in the recession in 2008, where people sort of locked down for a period of time and divorce filings dropped, I would say a few months to several months. And then people sort of get to a kind of a breaking point where some people just say, well, even despite the finances, I can't stay married anymore emotionally. I can't handle it. What I think we tend to see is a pause or a slowdown and then sort of pent up demand in this business. It talks about how people are strategizing and people that what they call them discretionary divorcers, which is an interesting term I've never heard before, which means people who want to, you know, are choosing to divorce and aren't forced to divorce. And when they're choosing the time where they're maybe not both interested in one, where one of the two people's thinking about getting divorced, they may be sitting on their hands and not bothering to go forward because they're thinking, there's only downside for me. And I won't go through all the details in the article, but they talk about how divorces are are on the way up in, in England. This one law firm in England did a survey where they said about a third of the people they surveyed said they're staying in a relationship because they can't afford to live alone, which ties into a dating trend we're going to talk about a little later in the show. Mm -hmm. They talk to lawyers and, and financial advisors and they say, you know, it's doubly difficult to get a divorce in, a, in an economic downturn, you know, for obvious reasons. People are spooked about their finances. They talk about a situation where more people are having challenges where, and now post-decree, so after their divorce is entered, and we see this in the U.S. too, the financial circumstances circumstances have changed or there's a downturn, somebody loses a job and now they're seeking to modify or reduce support that they're paying and things like that or deals where they thought they would sell a house and they had that that was agreed to two years ago when homes were selling like hotcakes as we say, uh, maybe the sale is difficult now and now it's not so easy. And one person wants the house to be unloaded, the person that's not in the house and the person sitting in the house doesn't want to sell. So we're running into some of these challenges. And so clean breaks are getting harder to come by. There's a couple of things where people are dragging their feet because they see nothing but a financial cliff and the other person sees some degree of financial freedom in the divorce and they're wanting to push it forward. So we're seeing more of that and I think more of that is happening than in sort of ordinary times. So a couple of comments on this footnotes for folks that have different types of assets. If you are trading, let's say a pension for a fixed amount of money, be careful because a lot of pensions contain COLAs or cost of living adjustments and they would increase over time, right? So if you're taking a fixed amount of money and it, COLAs are tied to inflation, well, we're, you know, we're clearly in an inflationary cycle and somebody who took a fixed amount of money a, year, a few years ago and may be upset now because that pension value is worth far more with the colas that have occurred and probably are likely to occur in the next few years. So be on the lookout. And when you're even if you're in a longer divorce case and in Cook County in Chicago, where we work, we can have two, three, four, five year divorce case. If you've got a valuation in year one or year two, you better go get a valuation again because I bet the price is higher. If you're trading cash assets or other hard assets for 
a future pension interest, right? That's one thing. And the other thing is in a business interest, they mentioned there are people that own a business together where they are uh, fighting to try to hang on to the business together. Now, England, just like the U.S. or like Illinois, the courts generally disapprove of people holding on to a business interest together because obviously you're begging for trouble. They have divorced people own a business together. You know, usually they want to give the controlling spouse or the managing spouse the company and buy out the other person. But this is causing stress in these divorce cases. And we are seeing it in real time in cases that we are handling as well. So it ties into what you had to say too. And so absolutely, we're seeing, you know, the economy's not good. People are sitting on the sidelines, right? Yeah. It's, the, it's just the circumstances we're seeing and it, it dovetails with what we're seeing in these articles. So I thought it was a really good point that you raised and this article ties into that also. Time for a commercial break from one of our sponsors. So if you want to have, read the best book on divorce, it happens to be written by yours truly, Rayford Dalton Palmer. It is, I just want this done, how smart, successful people get divorced without losing their kids' money and minds. Available on Amazon, Kindle, Audible, and where all great eBooks are sold. So you folks that like Nook, you like your Apple books, Whatever app you're on, it's available there. And if you like Audible, you want to hear my mellifluous voice go through the book. It's about eight hours of listening. Speed me up on 1.25, 1.5 if you like to go faster. I did it over the course of many days. I enjoyed recording it. And you get my vibe or sort of my emotion is in the book. And I hope you enjoy it. I put a lot of time and effort into the book. It took a year to write, a few months to record. And I revised it a couple times. And we're working on a revised edition that should come out in several months in conjunction with my second book. I just want to know more on that later, but I just want this done. How smart, successful people get divorced without losing their kids' money and minds. Bestseller on Amazon, the book on divorce. I spill all the tea. I tell real stories about real cases. Names change to protect the innocent. And I talk about all the stuff divorce lawyers normally don't talk about. So you're gonna learn about cost-benefit analysis, why divorce lawyers and why judges are the way they are, what the challenges are in divorce that you're going to face, questions you should ask your divorce lawyer, when to know how to hire the right lawyer and how to ask questions about choosing the best divorce lawyer, when to fire a divorce lawyer, mindset with parenting, how to communicate with your soon-to-be ex, all this stuff and more, how to deal with a high-conflict narcissist spouse, that's all in here. So check it out, 300 pages. It's not some vanity project, it's the real deal. Rated one of the best family law books of all time by Book Authority. Check it out, IJustWantThisDone.com. IJustWantThisDone.com. Also, just search I Just Want This Done. You'll find everything about the book. That's where we got the name for the podcast. Because most people at some point, they just want to get it done. They're tired of all the fighting. <laughs> they want it over with. How smart, successful people get divorced without losing their kids' money and minds. Check it out. Thank you. Turning back to our regularly scheduled program, this one is funny. I, I had to talk about this. I tripped over this. We find this stuff for you because we like it. We know you'll like it. What is a homosexual? The dating trend to look out for. We love talking about our dating trends, right? So this is from Max Langridge on Demarge. So demarge.com shout out. No, it's it's not a man who, I, I'm not going to say it this way because we're, we're not exactly a family show, but I'm not going to directly quote it. But it doesn't have to do with like, a vagrant or a uh, homeless person, okay? That's not a homosexual, nor is it someone who's sexually attracted to homeless people, okay? A homosexual is someone who commits a potentially common move when dating and meeting new people. You may have come across one or two in your lifetime. How do you spot one? 
The term was quoted in an article written by Nikita, Nikita Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, sorry if I pronounced it wrong, in an article she wrote for Rolling Out. She says a homosexual is someone who dates you with the sole interest of having a place to stay, not a genuine romantic interest. Okay, so a couch surfer, and this person says, and within weeks, they're claiming a side of the bed, a drawer in the cabinet, and they, they move in their stuff, and it's like a duffel bag, you know? You may have somebody, you may be dating a homosexual, and somebody who's not genuinely interested in you and wants their relationship to succeed. So it can be somebody of either gender, whatever, either sex, doesn't matter. Predominantly refers to somebody who's a mooch, and they're using it as a place to live. There can be more traumatic and manipulative qualities that you should be aware of. So, you know, here are the telltale signs. Okay, so those of you word to the wise out there, we're, we're here to serve the public. So we're here to help you with dating, right? Staying married. And if you're in the unfortunate situation, getting divorced. So we're full service on this podcast. So well, here are the tips for how do you know if the guy or gal on your couch is a homosexual? Right. So you probably you may have an inkling, but here you go. Relationship moves quickly. The honeymoon phase certainly moves quick and it can be an exciting time. But if things move a little too fast for your liking and they seem a little too good to be true, they might just well be. If you've gone on only a couple dates and covered the basics of conversation like family and work and the next moment they're moving stuff in your house, you might they might be a homosexual. Of course, it might be you just really hit it off and you're both ready to settle down right away. Also, if they like don't have a good job or something like that, or they only have all their stuff in one backpack, you might have problems. You go, where do you live? And they're vague about it. They yeah. don't have a street address <laughs> or something, or it's it's an address that looks like it's a it's a youth hostel, something you know, I don't know, something like that. Or it's their parents' house. They're constantly unemployed or forever changing jobs. Okay, sure, yes, very good. And by the way, we have divorces like that where the person says, you know, I thought they would settle down when we got engaged. I thought they would finally stick with the job when we got married, and then we had kid one and kid two and kid three. And I gotta tell you, if the person changes jobs as, as often as you get new tooths with toothpaste, you need to get a new spouse or significant other because they are a mope. That's my diagnosis, okay? They have you buying them everything, probably a bad sign. They're like, ah, oh, they can't reach their wallet. They've got the T-Rex or alligator arms. Oh, like, yeah. My arms are too short, I can't reach my wallet. So they, that's a visual, by the way, for those of you not watching YouTube, I'm indicating with my hands, up by my shoulders so I can't reach my wallet. Mm -hmm. So if, the, if they say, ah, oh, gee, forgot my money, um, you know, and they're like, well, you have your phone, and they're like, oh yeah, my Apple Pay's broken, you know? <laughs> like, well, how is it broken? <laughs> they never pay for stuff, and you love them and you buy stuff, probably not a good sign. It's all good to be, too good to be true. You know, my dad always said, if it's too good to be true, it probably is, and usually it is. And then they move on easily. Like, let's say that there's a previous relationship you knew about and they dump that person like a hot rock to date you, probably not a good sign because you're the next person they're gonna drop like a hot rock once they mooch off somebody else. So there you go. Now you know about the dating trend of hobosexual. So watch out for those hobosexuals out there, folks, and uh, stay safe out there. You know, we're trying to keep our, we're looking out for you. I was gonna say just really quickly is, is that yeah. you have sometimes, you have these like international pilots who don't really, who are always flying to foreign destinations oh. as part of their job. They don't yes. want to pay for an apartment, especially in a city yes. like New York or Miami. So they are homosexuals by choice, except they sort of just find people to live with and they jump from one place to the next. That's their rent. You know, to each their own. Just watch but out out there. Word folks. to the wise. And then, uh, yeah, word to the wise. So you've got an interesting story. Uh, this is in our international department. Yes. Uh, we've got a great story about watching out and it is kind of like watch your back and keep tabs on things, folks. But what's this one about? Yeah, so I read an article in the uh, Ghana web. 
It says, uh, Chief Justice dismisses <laughs> judge for having an affair with petitioner in a divorce case, oh. causing her arrest. Apparently, the Chief Justice uh, of Ghana, I guess, Gertrude Tor Kornu, sorry if I butchered that last name, acting on a decision by the Judicial Council has the dismissed... Chief Justice. Chief Justice has dismissed the circuit court judge for okay. Jassican named Alfred Asidu. Essentially, uh, in a letter dated November 13th, the Chief Justice noted that her decision comes on the back of a disciplinary committee report which established allegations of abuse of power, malicious prosecution, and impropriety against the judge. What happened was that the judge essentially had a, an affair with a petitioner, I guess. So I'm looking for the letter here. One of the parties in the divorce, now. right? Of a parties in the divorce is what I, I believe it's referencing. The letter says the disciplinary committee found that you misconducted yourself as a judge, that you were involved in an improper relationship with the petitioner who had a divorce case pending before you. And he yeah. was asked to be deleted from payroll immediately. So it doesn't sound like he's going to be a judge any longer. So, you know, Ghana, like the country, Ghana. Right. So. <laughs> Things like this have happened, obviously, in the U.S. and in, in Illinois, too, here and there. A specific judge situation doesn't come to mind, but I know there were proper relationships that have been publicly reported between divorce lawyers and their clients and things of that nature. And it specifically, sort of shockingly, became a rule of professional conduct in Illinois that a lawyer could not have sexual relations with their own clients. That rule is newer than, than we would like to admit. Um, I want to say it's from the early 2000s. I started practicing law in 1994. I remember it becoming a rule after I started practicing, I believe. I didn't do the homework on this, but you would think that would have been a rule a long time before that. But more recently than I think than people would believe it became a rule. And lawyers can lose their licenses for that kind of thing. And judges obviously will lose their ticket as judges as well. So obviously you don't want these improper relationships for obvious reasons. There's huge conflicts of interest and all that kind of thing. And a judge sleeping with one of the parties in a case obviously is ridiculous and horrible because what do you think they're going to do when they're deciding the case? You know, so it's right. And it also affects the way that people view judges. You know, you want that judicial integrity. Correct. You want to say judges are these people who are making decisions and you want to respect their decision. If this sort of kind of stuff starts happening, right. it's like that whole system is going to start crumbling. And so you can't have that in a society. So that's why the action right. is always swift and significant. People have to respect the institutions or exactly. we, got, yeah, we have big problems. And I am happy to say I haven't heard reports of impropriety with lawyers and, and parties in many, many years. I have never heard of one in Illinois of a judge and a yeah, party. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't either. Yeah, in my career. But uh, not to say it hasn't happened, but I haven't heard, luckily. it This stuff happens and it's disappointing because people always are concerned that sometimes they feel like, well, maybe the fix is in in my case in some fashion. And we tell them, you know, look, in our experience, that doesn't happen. Judges don't want to jeopardize their their salary and their pension for any one particular case or any one particular person. Mm -hmm. And lawyers don't want to jeopardize their entire career for one particular case or one particular person. A couple times people have asked me in the past to do something, you know, many years ago, to do something that might have been unethical and maybe they didn't realize it was against their ethics code. And I would jokingly say, well, you're going to have to give me $10 million because if I do this, I'll lose my license and I won't have a career anymore and I need to retire. And they would kind of laugh. And I was kind of a nice way to approach the topic rather than me saying, hey, you're asking me to do something that's improper. Don't be a jerk. If you had it, I don't want it. I will not do it. <laughs> right? No, right. I was saying it jokingly to make a exactly. point. 
Right. And I wouldn't do it. And they, my career isn't worth it. And no one case or one client is worth it. So what I tell clients when they, when they doubt the system or they think that the fix is in or something unethical has happened, it's extremely rare that something like that would occur. Most lawyers are good eggs. Most judges are good eggs. And they don't want to lose their license over this stuff or get suspended or get in trouble. And what you see most ethics issues are. There are two ethics issues that come up if people get suspended and disbarred, just as a quick side note before we close. It's mishandling client money and also neglecting a case. So simply just not pursuing a case, like they don't get the work done that they're supposed to do. And the other thing that happens most often is they misapply client funds. And obviously that's terrible too, but it's usually not some conspiracy thing. 99% of the time, it's the financial issue of, of misuse of client money. Either they borrowed some and put it back, which is improper, or they spent it and they shouldn't have on their own personal expenses when they were holding client funds. Or like I said, the issue of uh, neglecting a case. They just didn't do what they were supposed to do on a case. And those are the most common issues by far. Anyway, yeah, so thanks for listening. We, we appreciate it. Like, share, follow for more, subscribe. Give us your comments. Let us know how we're doing. We love doing this for you. And we hope you listen to the next show and listen to our older ones too. Thanks very much. Rayford Palmer, Rahul Iyer, STG Divorce Law and the I Just Want This Done Divorce Podcast. We are Thank out you. of here.